Everyone is a character. All characters are Tatiana. Conclusion, Tatiana is everyone. You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And this is the second half of our season three wrap up discussion with our guest Susan. And this discussion is picking up right after we've finished talking about Helena. And now moving on to Allison, we got some feedback from Tom. He says, I didn't like that Allison was a separate entity except for a couple of episodes, but her wanting to take care of her own business makes sense. Her family is her priority, and it wasn't until near the end that she included Clone Club in that. But I, I, although she doesn't interact with a lot of the with the other clones a lot, she has a lot of interaction with Felix, and that's I love that relationship between Allison and Felix. It's pretty great. She doesn't have that much interaction with Felix, but he's a part of her campaign and such in a way that that the clones aren't. But still not that much interaction with Felix. <laughs> but there's still more with Felix, I think, than... Felix is more involved in her daily life than the clones are generally, right? Yes. Allison this season, she f- had a lot more... I felt like Allison was more open to the other weird and strange ways of her clone situation this season. Like, mm-hmm. we see her get kind of touched and emotional about when Cosima was willing to step in and fill in for her in in 307 when the mix-up happened and she was willing to take in Helena and Gracie so it not that Allison has been hasn't been a team player in the past but she's been less so she's been a lot more like this is my family this is an integral unit I need to you know keep this separate from that and now with Donnie understanding more what's going on she's being willing to include more of the weirdness into her little family life so i didn't like that more but i was a little frustrated that more of her storyline did not relate to clone stuff i know a lot of people have that argument and i agree but at the same time it always feels very much like allison's storyline is about this weird thing happening and how that affects sort of an average life, I guess you might say, right? She's got that sort of ideal life where she's got the husband and the kids and is involved in the community stuff. So like, it's always about how this weird situation influences her normal situation, quote unquote, normal. (laughs) So I don't know. I I do like that they have incorporated this where she has been very compartmentalized, I guess, and is less so now. And it feels like maybe we'll move into integrating Allison more. I don't know that I feel like she's completely, well, she's not completely removed from the others, but I don't know that there's enough crossover between the storylines. I don't know. Yeah, because last season, even though she was in rehab and she had her own thing going on, the big conflict there was that she thought Donnie was her monitor and could she really trust him? Like the the central conflict for a big chunk of her storyline in season two had to do with the fact that she was a clone. And really the only time her being a clone came up was in 307 where she had the conflict with her mother. So, and that's what I mean. It's not that I necessarily think that 
Allison is ever going to be like Sarah or even like Cosima. Right. The amount of time she spends interacting with either the the illness storyline or just generally being a badass clone something. I don't even know how to describe Sarah's role on the show. but (laughs) Clone Wrangler. There we go. (laughs) But... I don't know. I, I just, I wish that there was more of her storyline that related to her being a clone. Mm-hmm. I loved that confrontation with her mother, though. I loved that because, you know, this whole thing with her mom that she wanted to give her every advantage. And so she went and got this sperm donor and this whole trying to build this perfect life. And, you know, when we, especially when we first meet Allison, she's very much about that keeping up appearances, building this perfect middle-class life. And she just blows that all to hell when she tells her mother. I kind of loved Allison's mom because she's just awful. She's so odious. I actually kind of like the idea that Allison's mom is like, I'm going to do this thing to give you every opportunity, she says, you know, essentially trying to engineer Allison's life and Allison's just kind of like you have no idea how true that is (laughs) except nobody told you either and I'm engineered but I have this defect that potentially includes a fatal illness great (laughs) thanks a lot mom Uh, yeah but I, I, I liked how they set that up this idea that her mother tried to create this ideal little baby with donor sperm and boy she doesn't even know doesn't even know and still refuses to know Mm -hmm. essentially but i think as always allison provided some great some great humorous moments like i always appreciate the dark strange humor that allison's storylines add to the series i think for sure orphan black would be not nearly as enjoyable without them Mm -hmm. Uh, but i i just wish it was more related to her being a clone that's it that's it and the Hendrix's garage is where people go to die. <laughs> there is, yeah, that is that is a cursed that is a cursed place. That garage. It's like they have the craft room of terror, and then a uh, garage of doom. Doom. It's like how many? I kind of wondered if they were going to end up having to repour that floor again because they were going to have to put another body in. They do still have the bathtub of sulfuric acid, so. Yes, yes. And, and you know, Felix's bathtub of brain surgery. No place is safe. No place is safe. I hadn't really thought about it, but bathtubs were kind of dangerous this season, weren't mm-hmm. they? Because Sarah was drawing Kira a bath when Rudy grabbed her. Mm-hmm. And Cosima has her hemorrhage in the bath. Yeah. Last season, it was like sexy Tony bath time. This season, bath time is not good. And then Delphine threatening to... Slit wrists and metatarsals and... Oh my gosh, yes! Watch out for the bathroom, folks. Jeez. Well, and you know, Shay's bathtub's in her living room, so no place is safe. I was gonna say. It's not It's not in the bathroom, it's just the bathtub. Why mm-hmm. did she... Yeah, why did she have, like, a shower in a separate room, but a bath... Yeah, that was... That was kind it's of odd. not uncommon in old buildings that the bathtub is in the kitchen. That's true. That's true, because they had to... super cool apartment, though. I, no, she had a great apartment. I love Shay's apartment. It made me miss Cosima's old apartment back in Minneapolis. Yep. But speaking of Tony, I'll just say really quickly, where was Tony this season? I really wanted to see him back, and I was disappointed we didn't get him. Me too. Yep. Same here. The, we did get mention of Sammy, so the the door is still open. Yes. And we did get another new clone. 
Crystal! Crystal! <laughs> I like Crystal. Oh, Crystal. That could have been you if you'd graduated high school. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> but speaking of Crystal, what happened to her after she woke up? What did Delphine tell her? I, I would love to see Crystal again next season, too. I, it's, this is the problem with them getting me too attached to so many Lita clones. I know that they can't have them all on the show at all times. But you're making me like them, and I want to see them more, people. Maybe the end of the series, they'll just have, like, an eight-clone scene. <laughs> eight-clone dance party! It'll take them all year to film, <laughs> but it'll be wonderful. <laughs> the season will have, like, three episodes. Pretty much. The last episode will just be five minutes long because it took them the length of an entire episode to shoot it. <laughs> but it'll be wonderful and we'll love it, so. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. Speaking of clones related to Crystal, Rachel, I thought, also had a very satisfying character arc this season. Mm-hmm. Oh, Rachel, I'm so conflicted about you. Which they're, they're so good at doing that, though making us conflicted about clones. But I, I feel like it's sort of the flip side of the Helena situation because Rachel is similarly introduced as a villainous character, but they never fully redeem her, but they've put her in this awful situation. And so now it's kind of like, I feel bad for the situation she's in, but at the same time, she tried to kill everybody that we care about. So, uh, you know, I love the interactions with her and Scott over the strategy game. <laughs> Oh, no, Rachel. This is how we do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's improving. <laughs> yeah, she already has, what, a, a house goat and a milking stool or what was Something that? like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Scott. That's not what not she's talking really. about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved her reaction. Not really. We're not really playing that, are we? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. This is how we're doing this. <laughs> And he looks all serious when he says it. And then he has the big grin when he goes, and now here's what we're going (laughs) to... Scott. But like you were saying, Chris, I loved how we have these moments in this season where you feel really bad for Rachel. She, Delphine has declared her dead to die at the top side. So she essentially killed her for all intents and purposes. She cut her off from her position in the organization, which was really the only thing that she had. That is what she had been groomed for. She didn't have her parents anymore. Leaky betrayed her. I mean, that's really all she had left. And, you know, we see Felix bully her. And I felt terrible for Rachel in that moment. You know, Mm -hmm. we stripped Rachel of her power and she becomes this character who you really becomes better defined in a way. And yet we still get clear sense of how terrible she is. We find out she was plotting to kill Clone Club. She's willing to use Crystal to escape at the end of the season. It, yeah, I just, I loved what they did with Rachel's storyline this season. And Rachel, as as regular listeners know, is not my favorite clone. I kind of think she's terrible, but I thought she was fascinating this season. Yes. Good character, not a good person. Yes, I'm not going to give Rachel a hug, but I think she's super interesting. And now they've reintroduced her mother, who also was not dead. Nobody dies in this universe. Unless you're Paul. Unless, well, we don't know that. Or Dr. Leakey. Dr. Leakey's dead. Oh, Dr. Leakey's toast. Dr. Leakey's dead. He would have clawed his way out of that uh, garage floor by now. 
So here's a couple of things that struck me on rewatch is that Rachel at some point, and I'm pretty sure it's Felix, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure she asks Felix to get her out of Dyad. It is Felix, yes. Yeah. And that makes me wonder, if he had helped her, if Scott had helped her, would she have gone through with that scheme regarding Crystal? I don't know. I guess she probably wouldn't have had to, but who knows what else she would have done after that. Because it felt like a genuine plea to me in that moment. I'm sure it was, but at the same time, you know, Rachel to me is unpredictable enough that I don't know that I would have trusted her to her own devices after she got free. You know what I mean? She probably would have gone after Sarah again for injuring her in the first place. Or Delphine, possibly. I don't know. But at the same time, I do wonder if they had helped her, if she wouldn't have, if that was her trying to turn a new leaf. And when no one would come to her aid, she had to fall back on evil Dr. Dr. Neelan. Entirely possible. Yeah, I don't know. I was also really surprised that the piece of the book that she translated turned out to be accurate. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I'm still working out how I feel about Rachel this season. I'm always conflicted about her because I think that she's super interesting. Um, but I kind of want to put a pencil in her other eye sometimes. <laughs> so, which if I never have to see and especially hear a pencil being removed from an eyeball again, it will be too soon. That was gross. Didn't you message me and say you couldn't watch it, Stephanie? Yeah, I couldn't watch it. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you, Susan. I do what I can. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of her eye, we got an email from Paul saying... Not not Paul Dearden. No, not Paul Dearden. Different Paul. Saying, like, you called Rachel's eye a bionic eye, but I don't think it's a bionic eye. I think it's a, it's a transgenic organ plan, transplant. We just want to be clear. We're calling it a bionic eye jokingly. <laughs> we, we, we don't know what it is yet, and... You know, back in season two, when she got her eye poked out, we joked, like, will it be a, like, freaky leaky super bionic eye or will she get an eye patch? So that's what we're referring to. Mm -hmm. That's actually one of the interesting um, Blade Runner crossovers, because the scene with the guy who makes the eyes in Blade Runner is so important. I think it's interesting that they chose for her injury to be an eye injury in this replay. <clears throat> that's another episode. But yes. I am super curious to see what all her new eye can do. Yeah. Because clearly, that's not a regular eye. No. And, but again, they have me feeling sorry for Rachel because she clearly did not expect for what happened, you know, being sent to Susan Duncan to happen. And she did not consent to getting a, whatever that is, a freaky leaky eye versus a regular prosthetic eye. Right. Well, and it, it's interesting to me, you know, we see that scene with her and Charlotte, like, well, you're going to be my new mom. And so you have these two clones, essentially, who are both people with disabilities. And we're going to see them, you know, interacting in this mother-daughter relationship. I'm, I'm hoping that maybe they pick up with some of that, some of the themes about enabledness and, and disability going forward. That's a good point. Speaking of, we got an email a while ago from Amber, who mentioned that she appreciated the wheelchair that they were using for Rachel on the show, that it seemed to be an actual good quality wheelchair that somebody with, with Rachel's 
physical capabilities at this moment would actually use. And I was reminded there's actually one of the most interesting blog posts I've ever read on the internet was on the Mary Jane. And they were talking about the depiction of wheelchairs in, I think they were talking particularly about the Oracle, but about depictions of wheelchairs used in comics generally, and how oftentimes people are depicted using this really generic hospital wheelchair type. And if you're somebody who uses a wheelchair regularly, that's absolutely not the type of wheelchair that you would use. Right. So it was super interesting. If I find the link, we'll link to it in the show notes. Well, I loved that moment where, you know, kind of the gamers are taking her out of dyad. And and uh, is it Scott who says, can you go faster? And she just, with this total exasperation, says, this is top speed. <laughs> I just loved that. <laughs> you know like i if i was if i could go faster i would you idiot this is as fast as it goes yeah what amber says is as a wheelchair user i appreciate that rachel uses a nice high quality power wheelchair and then Prezi says it appears to be a permobile i guess which is one of the nicer brands of wheelchairs in a lot of tv shows if a character is in a wheelchair they put them in a crappy hospital chair it's a small detail but orphan black gets those small details right which makes it a great show so yep well, I'm curious what they'll, if they do expand on that theme, what they'll do, because with sort of Rachel, and now she has this new eye, and then she's got the wheelchair. And I know one of the things that gets talked about in, in disability studies a lot um, about bodily integrity for people who use wheelchairs is that many people think of their chair as an extension of their body. And so, like as a teacher, one of the things that I learned in in training um, around working with students with different abilities and disabilities is, you know, when you walk up and like put your hand on somebody's wheelchair, that's basically like walking up and grabbing their shoulder for some people. And so I'm, I'm curious how they'll integrate the, the chair into Rachel's kind of bodily autonomy. If she, if she uses it. Well, that's forward. what made the conversation between her and Felix so upsetting that when when he starts controlling her chair mm -hmm. and moving her yes. back and forth, like, ugh, oh, that so, was so upsetting. Yeah, because mm -hmm. not okay, Felix. Yeah, you are pushing her around like that is what you were doing, which I'm sure is what he intended to do. But that's yeah, right. Again, what sort of makes the whole thing so upsetting is yeah the the crossing the line. Well, as long as we're thinking about that reunion with Susan Duncan, she has Charlotte, so. Where's Miriam? That is a big question. Does that mean Marion Bowles is a neolutionist? Does that mean something happened to Marion Bowles? Yeah. Why is Charlotte with Susan Duncan now? Just my, my gut instinct is like something horrible has happened to her. You know, just because one is this show and two, I don't know why else Charlotte would be would be saying to to Rachel, you're my new mom, you know? But she seemed eerily calm about it, which was worrisome. Yeah. Because she's not that young, Charlotte. It's weird. The whole thing's just weird. <laughs> and now we have to worry about it for nine months. <laughs> but we don't like thinking about that. So <laughs> anything anything else? Or shall we move on to Mrs. S? We can move on. Okay. So we got a voicemail from Lisa about Mrs. S. Or largely about Mrs. S. Hi, Chris and Stephanie. This is Lisa. A couple thoughts about the end of season three, the final episode. First, um, I think maybe Mrs. S is being short-sighted, saying that once they get her blood, the blood from her mother, that they're going, that she's going to, um, you know, dissolve her in acid. 
so no material can be available to anybody else. Suppose they need more material from her for the, the Leo clones. Um, that could be a problem. So I hope, I'm kind of glad to see that they that she didn't go through with it. The second thing was the fight in the garage between Helena and Rudy, which I agree that you know it could have gone kind of the stereotypical all-out brawl, and so it was kind of refreshing to see something different. The whole time they were lying on the floor, though, I was expecting Rudy to jump up just like in you know a horror movie where you know, the killer is always you know invincible. And um, so I also was glad to see that he, they didn't do that. They didn't go the stereotypical route. So um, looking forward to hearing more episodes. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for sending that in, Lisa. Yeah, Lisa, I don't know about Mrs. S disposing of Kendall. I don't know that she was really going to do that unless she absolutely had to. I think it was mostly just a threat. Or what do you think? I don't know. She seemed pretty determined that that was the only way to keep Caster from, well, that was the only way to end Cast- the Caster project was to eliminate the original and get rid of all trace of her mother. So you think she was definitely going to do it? I kind of think, yeah. I kind of think, yeah. Okay. Because not only did you have the Caster project motivation, but you had the bad blood about her husband right. mixed in there too. Which I thought we were going to find out that Mrs. S had been the one to put those gardening shears in his throat, but... I I hadn't ruled out the possibility, but yeah. I guess they did have an awful lot of sulfuric acid there with the bathtub, and that that would maybe be a bit much for just a threat. So, yeah, I don't know. We got a lot more backstory for Mrs. S this season, which was interesting. I am still a little... Well, I'm still a little, I don't know, probably being a little stubborn as to the, it's super convenient that her mother was ended up being the original, but they did try to explain how she got so entangled in both of the clone projects. I still kind of like it. Susan? Yeah, I, I don't have as much of a problem with it because, you know, it's, they make it clear that it was intentional that Mrs. S was kind of put in as a guardian, uh, that she wasn't just some random revolutionary and hey look here here's this backstory like it was intentional i kind of think the going the route with her mom having with kendall having been a chimera and so being the original for both lines is kind of like that's kind of easy like hmm. but I'm, I'm willing to hang with it but this show loves its unusual science and as somebody who's never particularly been that interested in who the original is I'm kind of okay if they had to have the two projects for it just, oh, it's her. Like, done. Like, okay. We can move on. I'm cool. Yeah, I was never particularly interested in the idea of the original either, but I think this is a way that, for me, makes it more interesting. That's fair. Because they're bringing it in with, like, the the unusual science. Because this show loves its unusual science. And it might grow on me more. We'll see. It It, it might the way that they tackle it next season, I'll become more fond of the the plot twist. But right now, I'm just kind of like, eh, that was really convenient. Well, and I meant to do it, um, but I really want to go back now because I'm interested in the sort of the use of mythology in the show with Castor and Lita and the way that there are sort of these nods to mythology to find out if the Chimera plays a role in that story at all. Because they're all hmm. from the, you know, sort of the same mythological world. Maybe that would... Make me feel different about it. 
So if there's anybody out there who knows those things, tell us. I don't recall that being a factor, but but I haven't looked it up lately. So For me, my favorite Mrs. S moments were, A, when she walked into the cantina in Mexico, all backlit with a hat and badass and glasses. I loved that shot. I love seeing her softer side, singing with her old band, seeing kind of the creative piece of Mrs. S. And then it sounds terrible, but I loved the fallout from being attacked by Seth and, you know, learning that Rudy had tried to take Kira. Like, her big motivation the entire series is particularly trying to keep Kira safe, but also trying to keep Sarah safe. So the idea that she did this pretty terrible thing last season by offering up Helena in order to accomplish those things, and she didn't. I thought that was a great moment for her and important, I think, in starting to repair her relationship with Sarah. Yeah. I still have a huge crush on Mrs. S. I enjoyed her arc this season a a lot. And um, to get to see her and Sarah have a relationship that's sort of more like mother and daughter explicitly, I think was interesting. I mean, they're still clearly at loggerheads a lot of the time, but it's it's very different than what we saw between them in season one, where Mrs. S is set up as this obstacle between Sarah and Kira. I think that is one of the interesting things that sort of resulted from the gradual rollout of more information, especially regarding Mrs. S's backstory. Because now Sarah is having to make a lot of the same choices that Mrs. S had to make. Mm-hmm. And so I think they're coming to a greater understanding of one another, which is nice. And I mean, Sarah's finally having to grow up too, which I think is also helping. I also really loved the interactions between Mrs. S and Felix in this season. I loved how he just became like he does. Felix comes and he is the person who can give you a gentle kick in the pants and say, (laughs) darling, you don't get to sit this out. You need to get yourself together. I can offer you some empathy, but this is you need to stop wallowing. You need to pull it together. Being sort of the caretaker with a side of reality check. And he will also tell you if your sweater makes you look like you've been mounted by an alpaca. I think it was a llama. Llama. Similar. Close enough. (laughs) There was not enough Felix in this season. He didn't really have a strong storyline of his own. He was pretty much there as the the sidekick this season. And I I want him to have a stronger storyline because I love him. I know. I do, too. I want Colin to come back. I'd like him to get a love interest. It doesn't have to be Scott. It doesn't have to be Scott. But that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> On rewatch, I still feel like there was some there was some chemistry there when Felix answered the door shirtless. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. I, I think Scott might just be too awkward for Felix. <laughs> but don't you think that could be kind of cute? <laughs> I mean, it could be cute. I just, I don't know that it would work long term. (laughs) I don't think it would. That's fair. That's fair. So moving on, we'll we'll talk briefly about Paul and Caster. I think we're going to do another episode talking a little bit about the Caster clones, but... Are we? Are we? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We're going to have Dawson on and he's going to talk about Caster clones. Oh, okay. And why you should care. Okay. Because I don't get it. I know you don't get it. No. 
that's why it, we're going to have felt- Dawson on and tell you why you should care. <laughs> I will say it again. I don't get the caster project. It felt like a they put it in there to complicate the backstory of the clone projects just for the sake of complicating the backstory of the clone projects. And I don't really know that the themes of that storyline landed particularly well, at least for me. So I have a big question mark when it comes to the purpose behind the caster storyline. That's fair. I think there is some interesting commentary to be had there, which, again, we'll we'll talk about at some point, but... Yeah, I'm still working out how I feel about the the caster storyline. I mean, clearly the whole they were going to infect women with this thing that made them infertile, like, you know, clearly playing with the larger themes in the show about reproductive autonomy and military industrial complex and all of that. But but I don't know that we needed a whole other clone project for that either. And, you know, no shade to Ari Mellon at all. But I think that it is incredibly dangerous to put another actor in the position to play multiple roles when they are playing on the same show as Tatiana Maslany, who is so talented at that. I don't think anybody is going to be as convincing as she is and is going to look like they have less range in comparison with her. So I think that's that's complicated. Again, no, no shade to Ari Millen at all. But, you know. He was in a tough spot. He was in a really tough spot. I mean, any and any actor would have trying to kind of do that multiple roles thing opposite Tatiana. Yeah, good luck, buddy, right? Right. So how do you feel about Caster, Chris? I similarly have sort of mixed feelings about it. I don't dislike it as much as you do. <laughs> but I, I see your point, though. You know, I think there are interesting things to explore there. I think they did a little bit, but yeah, at the rate that they killed them off, it seemed a little like an odd choice, I guess. Yeah, I I guess that's also what I'm trying to get at. The only one that they really took the time to give any depth to, like real depth, was Mark. Yes. Which I think is maybe part of the issue that we're all having with this storyline, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Because... Like, there could have been more to it, it feels like, but then it's like, do we really want them to do that? Because then the focus would be more on them, which I don't think anybody really wants, <laughs> right? We want no. we want Lita clones. <laughs> yeah. So I think just writing-wise, they were putting themselves in a tough spot in the first place. So I don't know. Because then I start, I start to wonder if it would have worked better for me if they had introduced... A couple, because really the only two that they spent a whole lot of time with was Rudy and Mark. Mm-hmm. And Rudy to me was such a comic book villain ah, type of figure. <laughs> you know, he he just he was just a villain. He didn't have a whole lot of depth to him. Mm-hmm. And maybe if they had introduced them more slowly and given them a bit more layers, I don't know. But then they just like they ended up dumping five of them on our laps at the beginning of the season and then getting rid of them immediately. So if I could have gotten used to them, it just, I didn't have that time. But I know at the same time, I was like, oh, good. There's less people taking up screen time from my, from my be- beloved Lita clone. So I know it sounds exactly. like I'm just, I'm just 
ridiculous and I contradictory. So I get that. You are I'm, of two minds about the subject. I am. I am. Well, and I get where stuff is coming from because when they introduced the caster clones and I was kind of like, oh, are they going to be sort of the central storyline for season three? Like, I don't watch Orphan Black to have men's stories be the central stories. Damn. I watch Orphan Black because it's one of the few things on television where, you know, stories about women and women driving the action and women's gaze is the default. Well, I mean, I saw that same sentiment expressed a number of times over the hiatus, and I never thought they were going to do that. Like, that just didn't feel like the way they structured the show. Like, it didn't make sense to me that they'd shift focus over to the new guys. I thought that they were probably going to be essentially what they ended up being as sort of like the season's villains, for lack of a better word. So I hoped that they weren't, but there was that like moment for me. And then there were the moments where it just sort of felt like the caster project was kind of serving a role like the initiative did in Buffy. I'm like, oh, military guys with a horrible evil woman running it all. Are they, are they going to fight a big cybernetic dude too? Where's the little blonde in the leather pants? You know. We made this exact joke. <laughs> we made this exact joke at the beginning of this season. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> Where's Buffy? Where's Maggie Walsh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then it turns out that Shay is actually a vampire slayer. Yes. <laughs> Season four. And her best friend, the sexy succubus, comes and helps. No. It's possible. Again, I'm willing to revisit what I think about these things if we get more information later on. But I, yeah, as it stands, I just kind of like, I don't get it. I don't get it. What were, what exactly were you trying to accomplish? What did you want me to get out of this? But hopefully, hopefully our future episode featuring our friend Dawson will help me understand better. Well, and I'm curious since Mark is kind of the last caster standing and now this question about, you know, will Elena's embryos help him too with this sort of like mad cow disease thing that the caster guys get? You know, I might be more interested in the caster project storyline sort of filtered through you know now that the lita clones know that mark is their brother instead of this creepy prolethean dude and he is he going to get integrated sort of into the family and what is that going to mean and i i am interested in that they have said that we're not done with caster you know caster will still be playing a part in future episodes so yeah i i would think that mark will probably get at least more integrated into our cast. I did come to like Mark more I did this too. season. Yeah, they they made an effort with Mark, I think, really, especially by introducing Rudy, who's so crazy and evil. And like, here, Mark is going to help us get rid of Rudy. So, so it's okay to like Mark now. <laughs> exactly. They brought him into their scheme at the end of the season, and he helped them. And and I also really ended up liking Gracie's storyline this season, mm-hmm. even though she did end up betraying Clone Club. I thought she got a great storyline, too. Yes. Well, she betrayed them for love, so... We do terrible things for the people we love. Exactly. I did have a question, though, because they had the character Willard Finch, and it seemed like maybe he was going to be more important than he was. 
Because he basically was there for, I think, three seasons, or three seasons, three scenes to get questioned by people. And, like, they make a big deal because he's got the Confederate flag in his window and signifying him as evil. And, because, uh, like, he's in, he's in Canada. Why does he even have a... Anyway. <laughs> Is that... Was it just me who was wondering that? He's in Canada. He's Why really he big a- into Southern heritage. In Canada... well or might be trying to implicate some sort of white supremacy eugenics genetic engineering you know nefariousness probably but i mean they you know the fact that they took the time to like hang that in the background of the scene is it just to signify that he's a bad guy to make it quote unquote okay for mark to torture or kill him or whatever ended up happening there I don't know. And I I was also uncertain if that was supposed to, like Susan mentioned, give us more of an insight into Johansson's motivations for what he was doing. Yeah, I wasn't entirely sure why we saw quite as much of him as we did and why they had to make him so damn evil. Because they even have him make a really sexist comment to Sarah slash Beth, you know, what is the world coming to? Women running things over there, too. And yeah, so he's racist and sexist and just terrible yeah he was just kind of generally gross again was it just to make it sort of okay that mark was you know smashing his finger with a hammer i guess so okay because we're still i guess trying to redeem mark from him shooting the diner guy in cold blood i'm still mad about that i know i know so we had to make this one not quite as bad the fact that he killed somebody again we've mentioned them a little bit before but obviously we got a big reintroduction to the Neolutionists this season, and we got a voicemail from Molly talking a bit about that. Hi, this is Molly again with more feedback for history yet to be rewritten because I totally forgot my message yesterday that Ferdinand beating the crap out of his assistant was amazing and just how quickly he turned after saying continue the swabbing. I hate Neolutionists and just beating the crap out of him with that baseball bat. And letting the ladies know that they should probably get out of there because things were about to get a little messy. That was one of my favorite scenes, and this entire episode just made me cackle in laughter and cringe in fear, and it was wonderful. Love you, girls. Bye. Thanks for sending that in, Molly. I I also liked that scene with Ferdinand just switching sides, (laughs) Like like a switch was flipped. That was surprisingly delightful, wasn't it? I laughed. I mean, you guys were in the room, so you know, but I was just like, that was just, you know, it's like, you know, looming Ferdinand. I was like, oh, I hate neolutionists. It's kind of like an Indiana Jones, like, I hate snakes. I hate rats kind of moment. And then he's just like, I'm just going to caper over here and put this man who might or might not still be alive in a bath of sulfuric acid. Y'all might not want to be around. This is going to be gross. <laughs> and stop your whining. Stop your wine. <laughs> Will he be an ally next season? I'm curious about that. Or is that the last we've seen of Ferdinand? What type of ally could he be? I still don't entirely trust him. I mean, people like that are hard to trust, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Stop your whining while I throw you into the sulfuric acid. I'm just saying. But yeah, I, I've been waiting for the Neolutionists to come back into play. 
since last season, Ethan Duncan mentioned specifically, you know, not not Dyad, the Neolutionists within Dyad. And I thought right. that was like some big moment. And then it kind of didn't come up for a long time. <laughs> so I'm glad that they finally are coming back to it. And of course, I'm left questioning who else might be a Neolutionist that we already know, but we don't know they're a Neolutionist. I don't think there's a lot of candidates, but I am a little bit, tiny bit, teeny tiny bit worried about Scott. Yeah. Ooh. Well, because I was thinking about this, and we've gotten messages about maybe Scott being the one who shot Delphine, which I don't think he is, but then I started thinking about it. It's like, I hate to say it, but it's kind of possible. (laughs) I don't want to think it's possible because I love Scott and I want him to be one of the few people who's completely not shady on this show, but now they have me doubting my assumptions. Yeah, that is the situation I am in exactly. He followed Kasima from Minnesota. Didn't he say he sent his resume to Dr. Leakey personally when I he applied? I think maybe he did, yeah. Mm. Don't do it, Scott. Well, cause don't it- do it. You don't look good with a tail. <laughs> and because part of the thing, too, they mentioned in, in the season that they had three different monitors. They were They were waiting to see which one Crystal would choose. So that has me worried, too. Like, did they plant him in Minnesota for Kazima? Oh. Is he is he a backup monitor? What's going on? I don't want to think it, but I'm thinking it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or is he a neolutionist monitor that's monitoring, you know, Delphi- Delphine as Kazima's monitor? You know, how deep does the conspiracy go? Now I'm just feeling paranoid. Yeah, me too. Darn it, show. I think we need to move on to to lingering questions that we haven't mentioned already. Uh, all of them. Everything. <laughs> Obviously, when it comes to Allison, I think the big lingering question for her storyline is what is going to be the fallout from Helena attacking Pouchy and the possibility that Donnie's fingerprints are all over the place? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And was that camera recording or not? I think no, but you never know. Exactly. They I mean, go either way. Right. I'll never look at a paper cutter the same way. <laughs> yeah. Because, ow. Of course, you know, Vic had an encounter with it in the first season. Yes. Yes. I also think that even though Shay seemed to pass Delphine's test, ultimately, I think there is still a lingering question of can Shay be trusted? Clearly, they brought up stuff from her background that they haven't entirely addressed, like the where's her money coming from? She was in special forces in the army. Does that mean anything? Yeah, I'm really curious about that. Yes, it means something. Of course, it means something. Everything means something. But yeah, I don't know that it necessarily means that she's untrustworthy. Like, I'm not saying I trust her necessarily, because obviously I don't know. But to me, so far, there's nothing that's been brought up that makes me automatically suspicious of her. I think we're still at the point where we're like, we don't distrust Shay, but we don't know that we can trust her either. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of interesting, uh, one of the creators, I forget if it was John or Graham, did mention that Shay was a slow burn character. But they, I mean, that could go either way too, right? <laughs> like, that doesn't necessarily mean 
that she's some sort of spy, but it could be that, you know? But I, I was thinking about it. It's kind of interesting because I think by the end of the first season, we had a pretty clear idea of who we could or could not trust with the monitors. I mean, Paul and Delphine and Donnie, although, of course, Donnie's situation turned out to be not what it looked like by then, but he was still a monitor. So I, I think there are a number of ways that this could play out. So I'm hesitant to jump to any conclusions and will live in happy denial until we know otherwise. And then this is a question that we got from Francie that I thought was kind of interesting, asking if Rachel and her mother are in Austria, they do seem to be in Europe someplace, will we see another European clone, maybe one that has survived Helena, possibly Janneke Zingler? Hmm. Hmm. I think they thought Janneke died, didn't they? I think so. Of course, who knows? <laughs> we didn't see her die, and on this show, that doesn't, you know, that, that means she might really have survived. But I don't know if they will explore Lita clones on two continents more than just Rachel. It seems like if Susan Duncan has pretend been pretending to be dead all these years, that she would be pretty isolated. So mm -hmm. I don't know that we'll be out in, in European society exploring other clones' lives, but it's possible. Maybe maybe Susan Duncan is, like, ready to resurface now. I don't know. We'll see. Then there's another question. Does Dr. Cody still have the book? That was, that was Francie's question. Does Dr. Cody still have the book? But I'm also wondering, is there any other helpful information in the book now that they found the Casterlita original? Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious about that. Because you wouldn't think that the only useful bit of information would happen to be the one page that Rachel translated. <laughs> Yeah, and there was obviously diagrams and stuff like that in there, but there's still this dangling thread of, are they going to be able to translate it? Because Dyad still has a copy, too, from what we know, at least, because Delphine confiscated the other copy. Right. But but Dr. Nealon had his hands on it, so it's possible he took it. I don't know. Yeah, and I think Kasima asked where it was, and all Delphine said was, it's safe, but if Delphine is now in danger or out of the picture, then who will take possession of the copy of the book? So many questions. And then finally, Colleen was asking, is Dr. Cody dead? I don't know. I think so. We don't see a body, so usually that means no. But we do see her having a conversation with Ferdinand, whose job it is to kill people, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, his his job description is cleaner. So, yeah. It doesn't look good for Dr. Cody, but as you say, we didn't see that she had died. So, yeah, it's anybody's guess at this point. Thank you to Susan for being here to talk about season three with us. Will you, will you remind people again where we can find where they can find your internet show is over at? It's at pagans.tonight.com. The show is called All Acts of Love and Pleasure, and we air at 7 p.m. Central the first and third Wednesdays of every month. You can also find me at pagansquare.com slash thirdwavewitch. Have we worked out our lesbian drama now? Are we better? I don't know. Maybe. I just... Hmm. Will we have to wait nine months to see? Maybe. Okay. Actually, let me make an appointment to go get my hair straightened. <laughs> Both of you stay away from dating apps. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
And we would love to hear your thoughts about Season 3 or our Season 3 wrap-up. You can email us at feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can call us and leave a voicemail at 972-514-7223. You can record a message on your smartphone and email it to us. You can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 84. We are also on Facebook and Tumblr, and you can find us on Twitter at TIE Podcast. And in this episode, Rachel's new eye, whether bionic or transgenic, was played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.